Welcome back. I'm Dawn Tree, and this is Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone with autism. Today's topic is one that I believe a lot of caregivers struggle with. And it's pretty funny to me the way the world works because I was working on this episode a few weeks ago and I was reading articles and research. And then, you know, before I finished it, before I kind of figured out the how-tos of it all, my own life just seemed to explode with one stressful situation after another. And it left me feeling overwhelmed and beat up. And I just allowed myself to feel my feelings for a while because sometimes while we're caring for the people around us and doing all the things that need to be done, other people in our lives don't always recognize when we ourselves as caregivers need support. So we need to figure out how to take better care of ourselves because no one is superhuman. Let's face it, you may think that you can do all the things and do them well, and you can most of the time, but no one can do it all. And no one can do it all alone, certainly. And sometimes you, as the caregiver, are the one who needs the help. So that's the topic we're gonna talk about today. I would be honored if you hang out and we're gonna explore this question further of how to deal with those kind of feelings, but first, I want to quickly share with you that I've signed up for my first 5K, which I think is um, somewhat comical because I really am not a runner. So honestly, I am training a bit, but my only goal is to get across the finish line. It's for a great cause. It's ADS, Autism Directory Services, which provides assistance to families living with autism here in the Hudson Valley where I live in New York State. If you want to help move autism advocacy forward, you can sponsor me. Or if you're local, you can join my team and walk with me because we're going to have a whole lot of fun. And I would really love to see you. I would love to have our team grow and to support this really good cause. To make it easy for you, I put a link up on my practice website, which is aurorahealthyminds.com. A-U-R-O-R-A, healthy, minds with an S, M-I-N-D-S.com. And if you'd like to learn more about ADS or to donate to them directly, that would be amazing. And their website is adshelps.org. So check them out if you are interested. Now let's dive into this week's topic, which is titled The Caregiver's Dilemma, Who's Got My Back? A fun fact about me is that I love old feel-good TV shows like Little House on the Prairie and uh, The Waltons right? Because those families, they were just so warm and loving and they supported each other and the generations lived together and they had the picket fence and everyone lived happily ever after. Well, you know, growing up, I thought that was reality because I did not live in that kind of family. I didn't grow up in that kind of family. And I thought like, wow, wouldn't life be great if I lived in one of those families that everyone else has? But as an adult, I know that everyone else doesn't have those families, and many families aren't ideal. And that's because they have a family member with autism or other mental health challenges, or perhaps even poverty, where the parents are working two and three jobs just to keep everyone fed and warm. And it becomes unreasonable to expect a mutually reciprocal supportive relationship on a reliable basis between family members who are all dealing with their own things. Generally, one person in the family will take on the caregiver role, and whether that's out of necessity or out of desire or maybe both, um, it can leave the caregiver feeling emotionally isolated. And in that emotional isolation, they are still required and expected to care for the people who depend on them. 
And so when those situations arise and you're feeling those kinds of feelings and you still need to do all the things that you need to do, you might find yourself asking, hey, I've got everybody's back. I'm taking care of all of the things. Who's got mine? Who's here for me? And that's a really hard feeling to experience because being alone is one thing. I think that most of us, if we think about the future and we think, oh, well, if I were alone and this, that, or the other thing happened, it would really suck, but I would deal with it. I would somehow figure it out. But feeling alone and knowing that you have a person or people who rely solely or primarily on you and you don't know how you would handle certain things if they arise, that is really anxiety provoking. And it's hard to handle on the daily because it's not just a moment in time where everyone's relying on you as the caregiver, it's every damn day. So you better figure out how to set up your own supports and strategies or it's just never gonna be sustainable in the long term. Now that I've laid out the problem, what is the remedy? How do we deal with this? What do we do about it? Do we just, you know, stand up tall and carry on, keep it moving? Sometimes, sometimes that's what we need to do. But there are some things that we can do and primarily what you need to do is have your own back. Because if you are running yourself ragged and going above and beyond in ways that leave you feeling like you've abandoned yourself, it is worth thinking about how everyone in a family contributes. And when I thought about this, I was thinking about, you know, the physical demands of being a caregiver and running a household and you know, all the things that need to be done and how everyone should really be expected to pitch in and help out. And that is all true. But really, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Because even the most disabled person in a situation, for their own good, must have some semblance of purpose and standing in their family or community. Because if a person is solely the taker, if they're always the one getting the attention and the care, and they never have an opportunity to be valued for their contributions. It truly robs them of basic human dignity. It's just not right to allow someone you love to always be the taker and never the giver. Because what you're doing is not helping them, but you're teaching them that they don't matter. That they're not, you know, that they don't need to contribute because it doesn't matter anyway, right? Can you imagine what it's like to feel like you don't matter? Like if you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't, you know, you're not around, it wouldn't matter to your family. And as a matter of fact, maybe it'd be easier for them if you weren't around. Go back to last week where we talked about autistic burnout and hear the statistics for suicide in that community. And that will remind you how important this topic is. So find a way that everyone can help, but especially the person that you're taking care of, because they need to feel valuable. They need to contribute. That is the only way that they're ever gonna find a happy and somewhat satisfying life. It truly is. The second thing that we need to think about when it comes to having our own back or taking care of ourselves is healthy boundaries. And if you've never heard about boundaries, I can't imagine you haven't, because it's a big catchphrase. But the definition is, a real or imagined line that marks the edge or limit of something or the limit of a subject, principle, or relationship. So internally speaking, our personal boundaries are our own lines or limits. 
in our society, women in particular have been taught to not even pay attention to their own boundaries, right? I know I'm guilty of this, raising my kids. There were family members who were big huggers and, you know, my family, we were not huggers. We did not really do a lot of that, but these uh, relatives would come and they ha wouldn't see the kids for a while and they were like, oh, I need a big hug and a kiss. And my kids were like, whoa, what is going on? And I would push them toward the relative and say, give so-and-so a hug, sweetie. <laughs> right? And they had a personal boundary that they weren't comfortable with that hug for whatever reason, probably because they hadn't seen these relatives in months and months. And I was like, oh, ignore that feeling and just do what you're told, okay? That's a really simple way to think about boundaries is we have a feeling that something's not right, we don't like it, it's not healthy for us, and yet we don't express it. So when it comes to a human, a healthy boundary is a little bit of a stepwise process to find and to maintain. The first thing you need to do is listen to yourself and learn where your boundaries are. How will you ever know that hugging Uncle Bob is a boundary violation if you don't pay attention to how your body feels when Uncle Bob gives you a hug, right? A lot of times we're in situations where people say things or do things or act certain ways and we feel anxious or tense or uncomfortable, but we don't connect the two things. We need to start paying attention to what is triggering our emotions to what is the precursor to the things that we're feeling because in general, our feelings are not popping up out of nowhere. Sometimes that happens if you're clinically depressed or you have a severe anxiety disorder, but in general, it's triggered by something that's going on around you. So we need to start paying attention to our feelings and our thoughts and just sort of being observant about what's going on around us to figure out where our boundaries lie. According to Terry Cole in her book, Boundary Boss, which is a phenomenal and very easy, quick read, but that can open your eyes and help you in a lot of practical ways, it's worth picking up. In her book, she talks about four different main types of boundaries, and that's physical, material, mental, and emotional. Physical boundaries refer to things like personal space or touching. Back in the day, people were allowed to touch women they were allowed to rub their backs and put their hand on, you know, right above their behind on the small of their back as they glided into a room, right? Like these were totally normal, accepted things. But it's uncomfortable as a woman for another person to put their hands on you if you don't know them well. That's a physical boundary. A material boundary has to do with the things that you own or your possessions. So, for example, do people take your things without your permission? Maybe do people go into your workspace and mess up all your stuff without a care or concern for how you like them? Those are material boundaries. Mental boundaries boil down to valuing your own thoughts and opinions as much as you value other people's. So if somebody says to you like, oh yeah, I believe X, Y, and Z, and you say, oh, well, I believe A, B, and C, and that person says, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not right. You shouldn't believe that way. And you say, oh, okay. But you defer to that person when your thoughts and opinions are just as valid as theirs. That's a mental boundary that sometimes we allow other people to cross. We allow other people to belittle us 
for our thoughts and ideas. Emotional boundaries. You know, each one of us owns our own emotions. And we may have emotional responses to things in ways that we don't anticipate or that we don't understand. It is no one else's job to come to your rescue. It is your job to figure out why you're having that emotion and to address it in whatever way that needs to be. In the same way, I don't think that's the primary problem caregivers have. I think caregivers have the opposite problem, where they see people having emotional struggles and without being asked, they rush in and try to fix it, right? They try to soothe or minimize or distract or whatever way they want to rescue. You, when you're doing that, are hurting that person more than you're helping. And hear me out on this because it harkens back to the thing that I was saying before about teaching and helping your loved one that you're caring for to contribute to the family. You are helping them to, to contribute to abandoning themselves when you are always rescuing them. They need to learn how to manage their emotions, how to evaluate, how to understand, how to manage. If you're always rescuing them, they're just never going to be able to do that. And that's going to make their life harder, which is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. I feel like I need to write this one down, bold letters, and uh, put it in one of those plastic sleeves and just tape it to my forehead or my bathroom mirror because this is what I do all the time for people that I love. I see them upset and struggling and believe me, they like it in the moment when I'm helping and reassuring and coddling and whatever else I'm doing. But in the long run, I'm harming them and I'm harming myself because that shit is none of my business. And it's emotional energy that I'm expending that does not even have anything to do with me. You are responsible to manage your emotions and other people are responsible to manage theirs. Now, if people ask you for help, that's something else. If you want to be available to help people talk through their stuff, like these are all things. But in general, don't go rushing to rescue everybody. It's not helpful. So that is just a very brief example of boundaries. But if you have a feeling, if what I've said is like, hmm, curious to you, you really need to look more into it and understand more about personal boundaries and how to set and maintain healthy ones. And again, Terry Cole's book, Boundary Boss, is an amazing resource. So check that out. The next thing I want to talk about is carefully consider who you're giving your precious energy to. Because as a caregiver, a lot of your energy, most of it maybe, must go to the person that you're taking care of. And just like an electrical power line, there's only so many volts that are available at any given time. You have to evaluate your circuits and make sure they aren't overloaded. I'm not an electrician, so I hope these analogies are working. But you know how it goes when you have too many things plugged into a circuit. I love to put those... Um, Adapters on my plugs where you turn a two-socket plug into a six-socket plug. But even though you have six sockets, you can't use all six things at once or it's going to blow the fuse. We are just like that. And the things that blow our fuses are energy-sucking people or circumstances. So it's worth your while to think about 
who is sucking up most of your energy and where energy is being expended that doesn't need to be or that is unhealthy. And start pruning those unnecessary connections. Finding someone to rely on for yourself is a very hard thing in our society today. You know, back in the day, we would have extended family members and uh, maybe church communities or neighborhoods, but we oftentimes don't have that anymore. Ideally, you have a spouse or a partner who is carrying this burden with you and supporting you when you're low on energy and vice versa, but not many people have that, I think. So as caregivers, we need to seek out support in an active way. Because this shit is just not going to happen on its own. It's not going to be by accident that you meet somebody in the grocery store who becomes your BFF and helps you deal with all your problems, right? Like, that's not going to happen. Because honestly, when you are especially caring for someone with autism, most people are not going to see or understand the strain of your situation. And they're not going to have any idea what you're going through or the kind of stress that you're under. So some ways to find support are the obvious to start with, a therapist or a support group. You know the benefits of this. Paying someone to listen to your problems and to help you troubleshoot, or going to a support group where people are in the same kind of situation you are and they get you, those things are very valuable. I want you to think about reaching out to your friends. I want you to think first about who your true friends are versus your not true friends. And then think about reaching out to your friends because maybe they need some time with you as much as you need some time with them. In this, I will just warn you to be careful not to rely too much on one person. Because if you have a primary loved one or a friend who you rely on heavily on, be mindful that you don't want to become their energy-sucking connection, right? You don't want to be the one who overloads their circuits. So just be mindful of that. You can find support in a religious or a spiritual community. And religion in general has kind of fallen out of favor. A lot of people still find a lot of peace and joy in it. Personally, that doesn't do it for me. So I like to think about spiritual gatherings where I learn things about myself, where I meditate with a group of people, where I'm taking a retreat and spending it in nature. Those are the things that kind of refresh me and help me. Another way to find support is by having a pet. And I know obviously pets need care, and it, when I say that you might think, oh my gosh, one more thing I need to take care of. But there is nothing like the unconditional love of an animal waiting for you to get home. That animal loves you like nothing else in your world ever will. And scientifically speaking, according to the NIH, interacting with animals has been shown to decrease levels of cortisol, which is one of your stress hormones lower your blood pressure, reduce loneliness, and increase feelings of social support. And if all that wasn't enough, it also boosts your mood. And honestly, who couldn't use all of those things? So if you're on the fence of whether to get a pet or not, just jump in and do it. Another way to find some support is to seek out organizations that provide respite care or support services for your loved one. Because as a primary caregiver, you cannot be everything to everyone. And sometimes you have to step away and let somebody else handle things for a while while you take care of yourself. This brings up another topic of when, our, when the people we're taking care of are adults 
and they have a right to accept or refuse services. A lot of times when you have autism, you are very socially isolated and uncomfortable with new people. And because of that, they may not be willing to accept these kinds of services or even help from other people that you that might want to help. And sadly, I hate to say this because it does make me sad, but sometimes you have to let the chips fall where they may. And your loved one makes decisions when they make decisions that leave them without the kind of support they need or want, or they push people away or they isolate themselves. Sometimes they have to deal with the outcome of that. If they make choices to avoid interaction, don't assume that you automatically have to fill those voids, right? If your person that you are taking care of doesn't have any friends, don't expect that you're gonna be their friend and their caretaker and or their parent and or their uh, financial support and everything, everything, everything. You cannot be everything. And we all learn from our mistakes. So if you are rescuing, if you are, again, running yourself ragged, trying to be everything, you are robbing that person of valuable life skills, of life lessons, of the ability to feel motivated enough to connect with other people, possibly. Lastly, I have two things to say. First, I want you to remember the motto, don't sweat the small stuff, which is also the title of a book. The family dynamic that you are dealing with is a long-term issue. It's going to change over time, but it's never not going to be a thing in your life if your child or someone you love has autism and needs your support. You need to plan accordingly and pace yourself. Find the daily pleasures that you can indulge in because always feeling like you're trying to figure out how to make it better and putting your own needs to the side until the day when you can take better care of yourself, that's not gonna help. And it's just gonna leave you more stressed out and in worse condition to care for the person you love. And secondly, come on, cut yourself some slack. This is not a small thing you're going through. Your daily stress is high in a way that most people will never understand. You're not doing everything perfectly, of course, but you are doing a lot of things really well. So if there are days where you just can't manage to do the things exactly the way you want or the way you think you should do them, seriously, just stop it. Just cut yourself some slack. I hope you can apply some of these strategies because you, my friend, are worth the effort. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll hang out again next week. Mm-hmm.